0: God before us, God beside us, God behind us, God above us, be also now between us, a bridge through which your truth may move, in the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Low Sunday. They call this the lowest attended Sunday in the church here, but I've found that's not always true. I think 4th of July is lower, but so we get extra points. Is that right? We get to, in our books. Anyway, um, hey, y'all, watch this. I, I am, uh, I've, and I know many of you are on Facebook, so I'll, you know, I do these things. I don't read anything political anymore. You know, if you write something political and think you're going to, you know, persuade me to do something, I just ignore all of that. But the one thing I will watch, and unfortunately I'll watch for hours, which probably says something about my schedule and my time and that I really don't have a whole lot to do. And that is, I love, uh, if you give me a video of like a cat playing the piano or something, I will watch it for an hour. Or like a baby elephant crawling in somebody's lap or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. There was, there was one where there's a lizard, right? And um, I watched it because he did make it, right? And so he's out there and then like there are a thousand snakes that all chase him and he makes it to the top of this hill and it's, it's happy. Of course, if he hadn't, that wouldn't be so good. But so let me get back to the, hey, y'all watch this, right? The other kind of video that I will watch for hours on end are blooper videos. Or videos where people do things that, for lack of a better word, are really stupid, um, and I don't know why. I, that also says something about my own psychosis, I'm sure. But and these are the videos where and they're also captioned with "Why women live longer than men," and it's somebody with a live chainsaw on a tilt-a-whirl, or you know something like that. And there's uh, there's you know holding a Roman candle in their mouth and on Fourth of July. And so I started thinking, what prompts somebody to do that? You know, and I've done that, right? I mean, that's kind of the anthem of anybody under a certain age or over a certain age, if you're young at heart. Hey, y'all, watch this, right? Tragedy usually follows those things. I've been in, in places with people in this room where I'm sure that was said, and it's, you know, you think, how, what on earth were we thinking? And so I've thought about myself and why, I have done that, and why we do that, um, and I think that it comes down to something where somebody's trying to prove something. Maybe it's somebody who said, oh, I doubt that, right? I doubt that you can do that. You know, I don't think you can hold a Roman candle in your mouth and run around the backyard, and so people do that. So you want to prove their doubt wrong in someone, and that's a silly example. But the more real example is that we have doubt of all sorts. I mean, there are real doubts that others put on us. There are the doubts that we perceive that others have of us. And the doubts that we have in our own hearts about ourselves, about our God, about life in general. And I think sometimes that, hey, y'all, watch this, comes from wanting to be. Wanting to be seen as worthy, wanting to be seen as a uh, macho wanting to be seen as its the 10-year-old girl who takes dance lessons even though she hates dance because she knows it will please her mother. And she wants so desperately to, to cast out any doubt that she might have that I am a loving daughter, that I am here for you. Or the son who is 10 years old or 40 years old who does something very similar that wants to cast out any doubts that I'm somehow not good, that I'm somehow worthy of this. So we overcompensate in lots of ways in this life. Hey, y'all, watch me. Look at me, right? And many of us do it through self medication. We do it through drugs or alcohol or work or whatever it is, trying to get accolades, trying to get acceptance, trying to say, I'll show you. You know, I'll show you. We make What is uncertain, certain, because we want to control it. Even though if we know at some base level, it will always be out of our control. Or we magnify and we hunker down, right? Another form of doubt. Even if we have no idea why it is we should be holding on to this view or this idea, we still do it. And let me give you an example. I'm going to walk here. And I use this as an example at the Daughters of the King. This box is, I told Hugh Wheelis today, this, this was a box from my original parish in Andalusia, and I don't know whether it was given to me as a gift or whether I took it. Isn't that terrible? I think it was given to me as a gift, so I will never use this as a sermon illustration in Andalusia. So I'm afraid they'd ask for it back. But anyway, this box sat next to the altar when I got there. And being new... As a priest, I didn't want to cause any waves. I didn't want to make anybody upset, you know, just try to ignore any elephants in the room. I'm just going to go along to get along, right? Um, And so finally, one day, I'm back in the uh, sacristy, and I said, what is the box sitting next to the altar? So he said, oh, my goodness, I'm glad you said that. We thought you put that box there. (laughs) I, I said, well, I didn't put it, but let's move it. They said, no, we can't do that. I said, well, if you didn't put it there and I didn't put it there, why would we not move this somewhere else? They said, well, it, it probably has some kind of purpose, right? You can't just move a box that's been there forever. Right? I mean, it's almost as if we expected this box and we opened it up to be like the Ark of the Covenant and angels would fly out or, you know, it would blind everybody when we opened it. So people were literally afraid to open it, even though they had no idea why it was there. Afraid to move it, doubting somehow that things would go normal if we moved it. Um, Well, eventually we brought it into the, this is now six months even after this whole conversation, we brought it into sacristy and You would have thought seriously that snakes were going to come out of this thing. Everybody was kind of standing around and we kind of opened it very gently and there were bulletins from like two years ago in there. (laughs) But we fight change even if we don't understand why we do what we do and it becomes closed living. These doubts close us off from conversation, from being with our uncertainties, from being with our doubt. Um, And there's one last form of doubt I wanna talk about, and that's anger masked as doubt, which I see a lot in the world today. Um, That we will kind of formulate all of these questions under the guise of doubt, even though we're simply angry and we want to convince you that you're wrong and I'm right. And let me give you an example that I heard recently, which is somebody had a uh, round table discussion of people, I you know, wanted to talk about Christianity at this church. So this young minister had all these people at this table, and a gentleman showed up, and he was kind of notoriously anti-religion, um, kind of proud of his atheism and wore it on his sleeve. And that's fine, you know. I mean, that's he has that right to believe that. And so he came to the meeting and he sat down and he wrote down. They were writing down all these questions, and so he wrote them all down. And the priest read them all out um, out loud. And then he said, sir, if we answer every one of your questions, will you become a Christian? And he said, well, of course not. And he said, does anybody have any real questions? Does anybody have any real doubts that we can struggle with? And that, again, is an example of closed living, where we are closed off to hearing anything new. And today is a great day to talk about doubt, I think. Doubting Thomas, we're going to baptize Lawson, and at some point in his life, he will have doubts. So how do we deal with that? What do we do? Not just when he's 20, because every, you know, everybody talks about, uh, you know, millennials leaving the church. What else is new? You, <laughs> you tell young people, you know, this, that, and the other, they're going to do the opposite. So that's it. We all did that. But what do you do when you're 45 and you're doing that, or 50? How do we live with those doubts? And so this is a great day to to have this discussion. This is less of a sermon than it is a discussion. Because after last Sunday, we're like, yeah, Christ is risen indeed, hallelujah, and we're all happy, and we're putting on this brave face and kind of magnifying our confidence. And yet, in our heart of hearts, all of us at one time or another have doubts. Right? Right? but we try to put those aside and pretend like we're uber-Christians. And oh, I don't have any doubts, of course not. But at the end of the day, we do. And I think Jesus shows us what to do with those doubts. And Jesus shows us what it means to live open and not closed. What it means to live open with our faith, but also to live open with people in our community people that have differing views from us that we don't understand, that we can't possibly uh, understand, we think, and so we close off. So let's look at where we are in today's gospel. We are in this upper room where the disciples are locked away for fear. I mean, Jesus has already come to them, right? And he's breathed the Holy Spirit on them the first Pentecost. You know, there are two Pentecost moments in scripture. This John's Gospel is one, and then Acts is the other one. And they still stay locked behind the doors. I mean, you would think, okay, Jesus has been in front of you, and they still are harboring certain doubts and certain uncertainties. Um, and Thomas wasn't there. I don't know exactly where he was, but he wasn't there. And so they all say, oh, well, you know, we saw Jesus the other day. Really? <laughs> well, I won't believe that until I put my hand in his side and sh- see his wound. And instead of doing what many of us would do, well, Thomas missed his appointment. I'm sorry, you're going to have to wait six months. Thomas missed his appointment. Too bad, you're out, right? But Jesus didn't do that. The first step of open living, both with Christ and with others, is to be present. Jesus comes to him, almost as if he really meant what he said about the lost sheep, right? That no matter where you go, I will find you. Almost as if Jesus says, I know you're going to have doubts. That's natural. But I'm going to come to you anyway, because grace always approaches us first and always meets us where we are. And Jesus comes to him in the midst of his doubt, in the midst of his despair, and and in response to that, the greatest response in all of Holy Scripture, My Lord and my God. He doesn't even touch Thomas. My Lord and my God. The presence of Christ, and he showed him his scars. He showed him the scars of his own doubt and uncertainty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As if to say, Thomas, I get it. I know what it's like to struggle with uncertainty and to feel abandoned and to feel in darkness. But I also know that that moment of darkness is where God is most at work. So struggle. Be uncertain. I will be here for you and I will always come to you. The disciples didn't kick him out. They didn't say, well, you're not Christian enough. You're not happy enough. You're not whatever enough. They made room for Thomas to struggle. And you know what he did? I mean, this is They have record of this, archaeological records, historical records. Thomas took the gospel, the farthest of any of them, to India. They have record of him being there. Giving people room to struggle, but giving them presence and showing them your wounds as we have seen the wounds of Christ helps them to see the face of God. As for me, the silence is so great that I look and do not see Listen and do not hear. Where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but darkness. If there is God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that these thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my soul. They read this in Mother Teresa's diary. Mother Teresa. So if you have uncertainties, if you have doubts, you are in good company. And what the world tried to do to that is shut down that doubt. You see, she doubted. She must have not really been faithful. She didn't love Jesus. She didn't, you know, all of those things that we do instead of making room for it and seeing that in the midst of those doubts, Mother Teresa experienced a living God, and she took it to the nth degree. Even in the midst of those doubts, she found God not just in the people that she served in Calcutta, but all over the world. Where are you doubting today? Where are you uncertain? Where are you certain? Are you afraid to express it? What is it that you think God can't handle? The good news is that Thomas encountered the living Christ, and we encounter the living Christ, even in the midst of our struggles. As we wrestle with angels, David Zoll said this, God is not waiting on you to be certain about him because he is already certain about you. We are in the upper room of our own faith and many times we lock the door. Many times we are wrought with such doubt that we feel that we cannot go on and to walk in that front door of this church or any church, a holy space, will somehow desecrate it. We feel like we've missed the appointment. But fear not, because Jesus comes as he came to Thomas and he shows you the wounds of his own doubt. He shows you the wounds of his own hesitation. And if you listen carefully, at least in my upper room, you can hear him say, hey, y'all, watch this. My Lord and my God.